Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is April 18th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined, as always, by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. How are you doing? Yes, doing well. April 18th, tax day in the United States, but uh, we're here to talk about day three as well as day two and day one of the first clay court Masters 1000 of the year in glorious Monte Carlo, Monaco, Jared. And um, we're going to start off with some of today's action, including Novak Djokovic, two-time champion of this tournament. And uh, he struggled mightily against Gilles Simone. You know, I was looking at some of the stats, and his first service percentage after set one was about 41%. He did get through that set. He uh, dropped the second set, and then Deep in the third set, Jared, uh, Gilles Simone serving for the match against Djokovic, fell behind fairly early in that game. Djokovic corrected course, went on to win the match. But um, I know that you follow Djokovic very closely, very carefully, and um, want to get your thoughts on that, but also the fact that Djokovic came into this saying he was pleased with his service in Davis Cup, and yet uh, 41% in the first set serving, not uh, – can't be too pleased with that. Your overall thoughts on this match? Yeah, it was kind of a weird match in that sense when you mentioned the serving because he actually was defending his second serve even better than his first serve, which obviously uh, is a is a big rarity in tennis. Um, so, he, yeah, he was missing a lot of first serves, but I don't think that's what hurt him. Um, I think Simone just drags him into a style of play that just doesn't suit Djokovic's game well. And uh, Simone kind of imposes his style on his opponents by uh, not giving them a lot of pace to work with and uh, we've seen Djokovic struggle against them before there's obviously that famous five set match where Djokovic hit over 100 unforced errors and still won the match and that's kind of been the story of this rivalry Simone can make it awkward for Djokovic uh, but Djokovic has typically managed to get through this one and uh, yeah Simone had a chance to serve for the match didn't get his first serves in that that's such an important thing when you're serving for a match and you're getting a little bit nervous when you get your first serves in, everything else tends to just kind of fall into place. And, and he didn't get his first serve in, especially on that 15-30 point. Uh, I thought that one was really important. And after Djokovic won that point, uh, it, it was pretty hard for Simone to stop him. He rattled off three games in a row and is into the third round. 
Yep, and for all the struggles or seemingly struggles for Djokovic this year, Jared, he's actually, uh, even if he loses his next match, he's going to come away with positive points. Let's not forget, last year at this time, he lost this match, his first match in Monte Carlo to Yuri Vaselli. Tough, tough encounter there, too. And, you know, I look at this as the fact that this is his first clay court match of the year. We've seen other guys struggle, if you will, on clay as soon as they hit the clay. Uh, let's not forget Simone already had a match under his belt in Monte Carlo coming into this one. Uh, Djokovic did figure out a way at the end of the day. The old Oakland Raiders slogan, just win, baby. And uh, that's exactly what Djokovic did. Um, your thoughts on, is he happy to survive this? Uh, do you think he can now get this uh, under his belt and correct course or, or is it something else? No, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, obviously, things are a little bit different in the Djokovic camp now where you do kind of have to take things one round at a time. Uh, there was a while where we could take those first-round matches for Djokovic for granted, and uh, we saw what happened in Monte Carlo last year. got off to a slow start, ended up having a fine uh, spring on the clay, ended up winning Roland Garros, most notably, of course. And uh, we also saw this in 2013 when Djokovic won his first Monte Carlo title ever. Uh, obviously, Nadal dominated the event for years and Djokovic finally gets his breakthrough but a lot of people forget he had some tough three-set matches just to get to the semifinals he was struggling against Jarko Niemann and a couple other players so this is normal for Djokovic to be a little bit slow out of the gate at, at Monte Carlo particularly because he's making that transition from hard to clay I think the transition's even tougher this year when you with what you mentioned of him playing Davis Cup on hard courts just just a couple weeks ago yeah, absolutely, and um, I didn't see the match, but uh, a, a great new feature that the ATP is offering, uh, radio coverage of, of matches. I think they're going to cover the 1,000s and 500s, and so I listened to this, uh, much like I've listened to Australian Open, Roland, Ra- Roland Garros Radio and whatnot, and um, really enjoyed the coverage. It, it's fantastic, and just pick that up right on the app and um, listen on your phone to uh, – radio coverage of this tournament and others going forward. But um, Chris Bowers, who's a very good analyst and, and he's an author and whatnot, uh, I was listening to some of his thoughts on this match after it concluded, and he said, you know, Djokovic came in saying, okay, I uh, I, I feel good, I'm going to do some different things. And uh, his conclusion at the end of calling that match was, uh, I'm not seeing it. You know, I saw very little of what Novak Djokovic proclaimed of what he was going to be doing i'll chalk that up to kind of what i said and what you just said first match on clay but uh this is someone who's uh seen and called a lot of matches who uh isn't necessarily sold on what he's seen with djokovic today but i will again go one step further and firmly agree with you that uh i think jill simone caused a lot of those problems too yeah absolutely i think jill simone made it tough um on top of that i think djokovic doesn't get enough credit for how good he is on clay he's he's the second best in this era to rafael nadal the greatest of all time if there's someone you're going to be second best to rafael nadal and clay is not a bad one um you know and if you get rafael nadal out of the way think of how many more titles Djokovic would have won how many times did he lose to nadal at roland garros rome madrid monte carlo uh you take those losses away and all of a sudden Djokovic would have a great resume on so i think a lot of times Djokovic doesn't get credit for uh, how successful he's been on clay. And with that being the case, uh, you don't really have to change a whole lot. So um, Djokovic might be going out there talking about a lot of change, um, but really, in my opinion, he doesn't need to and shouldn't be changing a whole lot. Um, if you have a winning formula, stick with it. 
Yep, we're going to, speaking of, I'm just going to stick with Djokovic here just a little bit longer. Jared, he is into the next round. He will get the winner of someone I'm very high on, Russian Kareem Kachinov and Pablo Carreno Busta. I, I'm really hoping to see if uh, Kachinov can get through this one. I, I'm interesting and curious to see what that matchup would look like. Um, let's uh, script both of them, if you will. Uh, what are your thoughts on a, a djokovic Kachinov match? and a Djokovic-Kareno-Busta match. Yeah, well, you know off is game better than I do, so I'm, I'm going to be curious to hear your thoughts on it. But from what from my familiarity of it, he's someone that likes to hit his opponents off the court. And obviously Djokovic, a uh, very good mover on the clay, very good defensively. I think he's going to make it tough. for. I think Djokovic is going to put a lot of balls in play, extend the rallies, and uh, make that a big challenge for Kareen. Uh, as for Kareno Busta, um, he's very good on the clay, very comfortable on the clay. Um, that's his most natural surface. And he had some great success on the Challenger Tour on clay a few years ago. Since he's kind of made this jump to being on the World Tour full-time, we haven't quite seen his dominance on clay anymore. Um, but perhaps this is the year that that's going to change. This is going to be our first real chance to see him play on clay this year against a top-tier player. And so, you know, there's a chance for Cranio Busta to kind of prove that what we saw a couple of years ago wasn't a fluke and that he can perform at that level on the world tour as well. Yeah, I'm picking Cranio Busta here. Uh, Kachanov had a horrible uh, serving performance. He, you know, the, the end result looks good, two and four against Nicholas Mahu. But Cranio uh, Busta at the same point in time got through a tough three-setter against Fognini, a couple tiebreakers in the first two before he closed him out 6-3. I'm going Crano Busta here, and uh, I think that'll pose a little challenge for Novak Djokovic in that round. If it is Kachanov, I'll I'll see some glimpses, some flares of, I think, what we're going to see from Kachanov in the next few years, but not quite. And and again, I think Djokovic is is relieved to get through uh, what he has gotten through here in his first match at Roland Gar- excuse me, at Monte Carlo. And so um, another uh, point I want to make about a Frenchman here, Jared, um, qualifier, very nice. Adrian Manorino, uh, when we count qualies and the uh, first few rounds of uh, Monte Carlo, he is the ninth man to come back and win a match after losing the first set, and he did it against new father Joe Wilford Sanga. Huge, huge result for Adrian Manorino. This is someone, you know, who's put up some pretty good uh, results on the hard court, and uh, I I certainly didn't see this one coming, but uh, maybe Sanga had some other things on his mind. I'm not sure, but uh, all of a sudden Manorino is uh, motoring forward. Good for him. Yeah, you mentioned his results on the hard court. I always think of his run at Wimbledon a few years ago. Um, I think he's one of those players who would probably like for the grass season to be even longer so he could rack up some more ranking points. But if he's playing like this on clay, um, he's got a great season ahead of him because uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, these next four clay events that he'll play in and uh, see what he can do. Obviously, he might have to qualify to get into Rome and Madrid. Um, but if he's playing like this the way he did against Sanga, coming back from down to sets, not an easy thing to do. Um, Sanga, a proven player on all surfaces. So that's a great win for Manorino, and, and he's on to the third round now. Yep, and uh, we're going to talk about the one and only American now, Jared, who uh, entered the main draw here in Monte Carlo. That is Ryan Harrison. Credit to him for, number one, showing up. I think this is his first opportunity to get direct entry into this tournament. But I'm just going to read uh, something I put out on Twitter. 
and uh, I wrote an article about this five years ago when Donald Young was actually the, the only the first the third American since 2004 to actually play this. I'm going to read the list. Uh, 2017, the only American men to play Monte Carlo. 17, Harrison. 16, nobody showed up. 15, Steve Johnson and John Isner and Dennis Kudla qualified. 2014, nobody showed up. 2013, Isner gets a wild card of all things. I actually had to do a triple take on that, seeing WC next to John Isner and Monte Carlo, but there he was. 2012, Donald Young. 9, 10, and 11, nobody. 2008, Sam Query, who actually won a couple matches there and played well, but decided not to return. 7 and 6, nobody. 2005, Jared Vince Spadia, the lone American to show up. 2004, nobody home. So, uh, you know, before that, guys would show up and play, but uh, this is a big tournament. I know we just had the 250 in Houston in our backyard. A lot of these guys want to stay here and, you know, prolong their their time to go to Europe. But uh, this is a Masters 1000, and uh, first off, want to get your thoughts on the lack of participation by Americans in this tournament. And then uh, I've got a, a letter, if you will, or some email correspondence that I got from a loyal listener that I want to read on the air. Uh, but first, your thoughts on uh, why the U.S. guys just do not show up here. Yeah, well, I remember when I saw your tweet, I was just shocked how many of those years were completely blank. I mean, obviously, it's been a topic uh, that we've talked about before on the show and has been talked about in other places that the Americans tend not to go to, to Monte Carlo. I just didn't realize how how bad it was that there are none. And the funny thing is, as you mentioned, when they go, they have decent success, like Sam Query, for example. Um, it is one of those scenarios where a lot of times they do have to choose between Houston and Monte Carlo. And the problem is when all these Americans choose to stay in Houston, they end up just beating up on each other. And we, and we saw that this year at Houston. We had – Jack Sock playing Steve Johnson in the semifinals and only one could get through and, and Jack Sock, um, excuse me, Steve Johnson played brilliantly, got through that one, ended up winning his first career title, which is great. But on the other hand, um, you know, now there's so few players at, at uh, Monte Carlo this year, you know, maybe some of these guys could have had a chance to pick up points in Monte Carlo rather than playing each other at Houston. Yeah, completely agree. And, Jared, uh, a loyal listener wrote an email to me uh, in response to the tweet that I sent out that, that I just read out, uh, namely the number of players or lack of players. And it's uh, this, this individual questioning the Americans' ability to perform well on clay. And uh, I, this is a quote. It's simple. They don't like the holes that clay exposes in their game. They fear it and figure it's only three months of the year. Who cares? It also exposes something systematic to American culture. They want the glory without the work. Good enough to be a professional instead of finding out how good they can really be is simply satisfying enough. I watched a blurb on Tennis Channel about Gerald Donaldson, and they did a tour of his house. He's proud of what he's accomplished and loves to play video games on his 96-inch TV. The guy found what satisfies him, so why work harder? I hope I'm wrong about a guy like him. He seems like a good player, a nice guy. But how the hell do you compete with men like Federer, Nadal, and Joker who are driven by something deeper than possessions and comfort. That's the one thing I've always liked about Maria Sharapova. She's worth over $100 million, but she's always trained for the trophy, not the money. How does one become worth that much money and still feel motivated to get up and get better than the day before? By relishing work and personal challenge. Strong words, Jared, and I I get all of that, quite honestly. Um, I, again, scratch my head. In my opinion, 
tennis is a job for these guys, and your job at this point in time from mid-April until the conclusion of Wimbledon takes you to Europe. And, uh, you know, for an extra two or three weeks of the year to stay in the U.S., I'm not buying that. Uh, There's plenty of tournaments in the U.S., and obviously the off-season, these guys can, in my opinion, do what they want. Uh, It's their job to get to Europe and, and, and stay there and play and get accustomed. By the way, there's two more Masters 1000s on clay coming up as well as a major called Roland Garros. Yeah, no, it's uh, a great point in that letter. And uh, one thing that really stuck out with me uh, was that a lot of times the American guys, they're playing for uh, the, the glory and not for the trophy. And, um, you know, you talk about the motivation of a Maria Sharapova versus someone that, that's worried about uh, the, the glory of, of having wins and having attention. And I remember uh, one incident a few years ago, Noah Rubin was young at the time. Um, he, he's grown up and matured quite a bit since then, but he, he announced I'm never going to play a futures event ever again in the United States because when I go to Europe, the fans come out. And when I play in the United States, no one comes to watch me. And uh, you know, it's like he doesn't want, he doesn't care about winning if no one's watching. He only cares if people are going to recognize the work he does, and, and it's true, you get better crowds in, in Europe, which is a great reason to go play clay events there. Um, but at the same time, that shouldn't be your primary motivation. Um, and, you know, th- these guys are um, getting paid to play professional tennis. They can kind of do what they want. They're very talented and um, use that talent however they see fit. But, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit disappointing to see sometimes some of these guys be be more motivated by things other than, uh, winning and representing the United States. Yep, and um, I'll just go back to, uh, again, 2012. Jared, France hosted the United States in Davis Cup. They they played it right there in Monte Carlo, and the very next week was this tournament. John Isner and other Americans uh, did play Davis Cup, and yet nobody stuck around in one of the most beautiful places in the world. I've been there twice, not for the tournament, but in Monte Carlo, Monaco, gorgeous uh, isner himself uh, had high praise for it but uh, for some reason didn't want to stick around and, and play that tournament but um, getting back to ryan harrison 2017 i give him a lot of credit again for what he's been able to accomplish this year and uh, getting his ranking up to get main draw entry into monte carlo credit for him that said uh, he uh, he got destroyed by luca pui uh, not you know no shame in that but uh I want to turn it on the positive and say uh, thank you, Ryan Harrison, for uh, for showing up. Yeah, and here's the thing about Monte Carlo. It's, it's a non-mandatory, so if you go play and have a bad result, you get to pick up a big first-round paycheck, which I, I believe is too big, um, but, you, but you get that paycheck. On top of that, it doesn't hurt your ranking because it's going to go straight into the non-countable category, so it doesn't take the place of a good result. You You really have nothing to lose. Um, you're going to pick up the paycheck either way. Might as well go out and see if maybe you can win a match or two. And, uh, yeah, so for Ryan Harrison, it's the worst-case scenario. He's out in the first round. But really the worst-case scenario isn't that bad. He's now going to go get ready for the next event and be better prepared for having played at Monte Carlo. Agreed. And uh, switching gears, staying on a positive note, 39-year-old Tommy Haas uh, played Benoit Pair. Lost only five games. He's going to play Thomas Burdich tomorrow. And I sort of uh, really don't like all the whining on Twitter when people are uh, complaining about uh, who's playing on what court and somebody's playing on a distant court. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little surprised. Thomas Burdich, who maintains residence in Monaco, 
is playing Tommy Haas. They're first up on the number two court there. I'm a little surprised that's not on the main court, but uh, they're playing tennis on a tennis court at a Masters 1000. But uh, credit to Tommy Haas uh, playing Burditch. Your thoughts on that match? Yeah, that'll be a really fun one. Uh, two veteran guys. I mean, not veterans an understatement for Tommy Haas at this point in his career. Uh, the guy's a tournament director, and he's still playing tennis. So, yeah, this, this is going to be a fun match to see. And, and Burdick got through his match after coming back from down a set against qualifier Andre Kuznetsov. So maybe a, a little bit vulnerable at this point, uh, an opportunity for Haas to make some headlines with a win like this. Uh, it, it's really going to be fun to see two former top ten players uh, play tennis against each other, and, and they're still both very talented. So there's going to be some high-quality tennis in this match. And uh, for some longtime tennis fans, uh, a nice little flashback as well. Yep, and Tommy Haas got as high as number two in the world, Jared. Uh, unfortunately, several inter- injuries uh, meandered throughout his career, and you know it's it's still a pleasure to watch him play tennis uh, and give it all he's got. And um, someone who uh, has been around for a while as well. Uh, this surprised me. This result, uh, Jared Nicholas Almagro up five one on David Goffin, and Almagro only wins one more game in the match. I'm uh, wondering if. Uh, an injury took place there or something, but, uh, you know, next week, Almagro, he's the defending champion in Estoril. So, um, this, his ranking could go down elevator shaft very quickly if, uh, he's not able to correct course, but up five, one, I mean, you know, uh, another win, uh, of, of a game and you're on, you're on the board with a set, uh, you know, feeling pretty good about yourself. Didn't happen for him. Any, uh, any clues as to what didn't go well here for Almagro? Yeah, it's uh, been kind of a tough year for him, and not, not a lot of things have gone his way. Um, I, I didn't see the match myself, but I wouldn't be surprised if injuries did come into play for him. Uh, that's been a big issue for him for the last three, four years or so. It just hasn't been completely healthy. Um, you know, it's it's been about five years since he was last in the top ten. And, uh, you know, he was one of the best players on tour, obviously, outside of the big four, and he could compete with anyone. Um, and that just hasn't been the case in a while. And a big reason for that has been the injuries, which has been unfortunate to see. Yep, good call there. And uh, we talked a little bit about Haas Burdich tomorrow. Uh, some other good matches, in my opinion. Stan Varenka playing Vaselli, who obviously took out Djokovic there last year. Uh, Jeremy Chardy, who uh, took out Borna Chorich, uh, the champ last week in Marrakesh. Uh, Chardy is playing Marin Cilic, who we've talked on this show, doesn't seem to get going until uh, August. And uh, Alexander Zverev taking on the veteran Feliciana Lopez. Any of those that you'd like to go into more? Well, the one I'm really excited to see is Yuri Vaselli against Dan Valrinke. You mentioned earlier in the show, Yuri Vaselli at this event last year took out Novak Djokovic. So he has some points to defend now, and uh, he, he's going to have to do it against another uh, former champion at this event and Stan Valrinke. Uh, Stan, always a very good player on clay. However, he does have some mixed results. Um, we've picked it a few times that he would just go out in the first round and, at a clay event, and he does. Um, and even though he's one of the top-ranked players, that can happen to him. So uh, anything can happen. This match with Vassell is very talented, and uh, I, I definitely have upset alert circled on this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we never really know what we're going to get from Stan. Uh, this is clay court season. Stan's got to feel pretty good about himself, but uh, we really just never know. And you made this point, uh, really, when it comes time to uh, majors. You know, once Stan gets going and on a roll, once he – survives those first couple of matches uh 
dangerous player, and, and once he gets it going, look out. Stan Varinka, everybody knows where he is in the draw at this point in time. And uh, not quite Indian Wells with some of the intriguing doubles matches matchups, Jared, but, uh, you know, we did see Bernie Tomich and Rafael Nadal get together and play doubles. That uh, surprised a lot of people. One that sort of jumps out at me is Stan Varinka playing with Fabio Fognini. I I don't necessarily see this as a combo, but uh, why not, I suppose? Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, two veterans on tour. These guys are around each other all the time in the locker room, and uh, you do become friends with the guys in the locker room. So it might seem like an odd match, um, but maybe there's just a, a friendly connection there, and uh, one of them threw out the idea of playing doubles together sometime. And, uh, yeah, they won their first match against Daniel Nestor and Max Mirny, uh, two veterans on the doubles tour, two of the two of the best doubles players really all time. And uh, so that's a good first round win for them and, and next they're going to go up against former world number ones Nicholas Nicholas Mou and uh, Pierre Uzerbert. Uh they're the number two seeds obviously the, the top seeds Henry Continent and John Pierce so uh, lot, lots of great doubles teams Djokovic even playing in the doubles draw partnered with Victor Trutsky they won their first round match so yeah you're right this isn't quite Indian Wells still a lot of good teams a lot of fun matchups and uh, excited to see what happens and also Brian Brothers not in the event, which opens the door for everyone else now. Good point. And, uh, you know, we picked on the Americans a bit uh, about not playing, and uh, some of them we've talked about on this show quite a bit, really the last three, four, five episodes. Uh, we've not yet mentioned him. Uh, we're 24 minutes in, Jared. Nick Kyrgios not playing Monte Carlo. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised by this. Maybe he's going the route of the Americans. Just uh, obviously uh, played played Davis Cup and whatnot uh, in Australia. Uh, not yet ready to go to Europe. I'm still scratching my head a little bit. I, I would have thought Nick wanted to get on the clay, but uh, he's elected not to. Any anything jump out at you about this decision? Yeah, this is a little bit different one, I think, than a lot of the, the top Americans. At this point, Nick Kyrgios is setting himself up to be uh, kind of the, the future of tennis. Um, at some point or another, the careers of Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, and Federer are going to come to a close. And uh, I think he's kind of planning on being that guy uh, that, that fills that void. And so um, a lot of times with these decisions about choosing which tournaments you play is about kind of marketing and branding yourself. Um, I, I don't know what exactly the reason might be, but I wouldn't be surprised if those kind of factors are playing into his decision and uh, holding out on a 1,000. That's a non-mandatory. He has the choice to hold out, and uh, you know maybe in some way that benefits him. Uh, I, I think there's more to this than just simply what happens on the court. Good call. I like that, absolutely. And Jared, we're going to shift gears now to some of the results. Of clay court season did get underway last week in a couple places, uh, one of which here in the United States, Houston, Texas, the U.S. Clay Court Championships. All full credit to Steve Johnson, got his second career ATP title, obviously the first one on clay, uh, was cramping near the end, but uh, withstood Bellucci in the final and, uh, you know, equally as impressive win in the semifinals over Jack Sock. And uh, Steve Johnson, good good story, uh, up to a career high at this point as well. Yeah, what a run for him. Started off against Dustin Brown, barely got through that first set, won the first set tiebreaker 14-12, and he was off running from there. Uh, really was uh, just cruising past the competition, including Fernando Verdasco. But then hit a, hit a bit of a hiccup against Jack Sock, 
lost that first set, really rebounded nicely, um, showed some some grit in that match, and I thought that was really impressive, uh, especially do that against his doubles partner. Um, really good one for him. And then the the battle against Bellucci in the final, both guys worn out after a long tournament, and you could see the physical attrition in that battle. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of became a battle of wills, which I think is, is overused in tennis, that phrase. Um, but I think in this case it was definitely – um, a situation where both guys were were running out of juice in the batteries, and it was just who was going to get to the finish line first. And Steve Johnson did it in that third set tiebreaker, won it seven to five. Uh, a really nice gutsy win for Steve Johnson to pick up the title. Yeah, and uh, his opponent uh, Bellucci, uh, the Brazilian, uh, nice run for him as well, Jared. Uh, he had to come from a set down, taking out American upstart Ernesto Escobedo in the semis. Uh, nice win for Bellucci. But how about Escobedo? He takes out John Isner, um, 35 aces for Isner. Isner, you know, obviously he's going to play his tiebreakers everywhere, but this, is, this even happens on clay as well. Uh, we still go back to uh, we remember how well he played Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros uh, a number of years ago now. But Isner can play on clay. And um, just impressive for Escobedo to get this far. And uh, Jared, uh, Ernesto Escobedo, 406 points to defend between now and the end of the year. The majority of those are at challenger levels. I don't think we're going to see him uh, play those anymore. There's a few ATP results in there from last year as well. But um, do you think that we will see him uh, show up uh, and try and play qualies for the Masters 1000s in Rome and Madrid? Or is he going to go another route yeah no it's a great question um, because when you have a result like this reaching the semifinals at a tour level event a lot of times that does change your scheduling unfortunately the case is that a lot of times you schedule way in advance uh, so it might be a little bit too late for Escobedo to make that change and try to get into qualifying for Rome uh, we'll see what he does from here but uh, really a very good run for him uh, to beat Tennis Sandgren uh, Tygo Montero and John Isner uh, taking advantage of that wild card. We see the Americans get wild cards in the United States events a lot. Escobedo took advantage, got into the semifinals, lost to Bellucci, who took out two of the young Americans. He took out uh, Francis Tiafo in the first round and uh, would have would have played Jared Donaldson in the second round. Maximo Gonzalez got the better of Donaldson uh, to prevent that matchup. But uh, yeah, what a run for Thomas Bellucci. We've said this before. When he's on, he's really good. He played nothing but three-set matches in the entire tournament, uh, which kind of explains why he was running out of gas in that third-set final, um, in the third set of the final. But really good run for the Brazilian. And I uh, just want to talk more about Escobedo. This is a name that we have talked about on the show for years now, Jared. And, uh, you know, you've had the pleasure uh, of, of hitting tennis balls on a court adjacent to Escobedo a number of times, and uh, you would describe the pop on the ball. And, uh, you know, being so close, uh, you know, literally right there on the next court, uh, are you – does this success at this point uh, – are you surprised by this? Did you see this coming? Uh, or if you saw it coming, do you think maybe this was a little ways out yet? And it's uh, basically you surprised at uh, what he's been able to accomplish right in 2017. Yeah, no, I've, I've actually been especially surprised. And you'd think me being someone that's seen him play and practice a ton that I'd maybe have the inside scoop on how good he's going to be. I, I did not see this coming. And uh, one of the things about, you know, practicing on the same courts he does. I, I talked to people 
uh, that know a lot more about the X's and O's and technique and that, that side of tennis that have also watched uh, Escobedo play. And a lot of them are pretty critical of, of a lot of things. They'll say he doesn't have a good technical base. Um, he's gone through a lot of coaching changes. Um, and, and they've been kind of critical and thinking he doesn't have that bright of a future. It's fun to see him succeed, but none of them really thought he'd get this far. Well, here he is in the semifinals. So uh, the people that know him best, he's proving even them wrong. So that, that's what's been really incredible about Ernesto Escobedo. And I, I remember going to a Futures event to see him play. It, it was just down the road. Um, it was really nice to have a Futures event right there. Went to go see him play. He lost tossed his racket and said, that's it, I quit. I'm never playing tennis again. Well, he was back on the court the next day practicing, getting ready for the next event. Uh, he's he's a very driven athlete, and um, I think that's going to bode well for him for the rest of his career. Um, some of those technical flaws that he has, he's working hard to get better at it. And, um, you know, the, the analysis on him is the same from everyone. He, he has one speed, he hits the ball hard. Um, you know, like you said, I, I talk about the pop that you just hear off his racket uh, when he's practicing. Well, a lot of guys hit the ball hard in, in practice. He goes out onto the match court and plays with that same speed, just hitting the ball as hard as he can consistently. And it kind of makes him a fun player to watch. He's a little bit reckless, um, but really hits the ball well. He's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I was disappointed. Uh, he, he was in the draw here in, in Tempe in February of the 75K Challenger. I did see him hit practice, but he was knocked out before uh, the weekend. I think Novikov got him, but uh, this is the tournament that Tennis Sandgren won. But that description, Jared, I, I think I may have mentioned this on the show before. It, it, you, with how you described Ernesto Escobedo, it sounds exactly like a description of Fernando Gonzalez. Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've made that comparison before, as you said, and, and it's a great one. Um, just kind of hitting the ball hard. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you do that, it just it, you can hit players off the court when you're able to hit your spots. And, um, you know, it's such a fun style of tennis to watch. It's a lot different than the finesse of a lot of other guys. Um, he just clobbers the ball. It's really it's, it's impressive to watch. It's fun to see. And uh, that, that's one of the things I really enjoy about Ernesto. Yeah, nice. And uh, we're going to shift gears from Houston to the other clay court tournament that was going on in Marrakesh, Morocco, Jared. And uh, Borna Cioric, first title in his career. I, I thought this was a little overdue. Uh, I had the pleasure of catching a couple of his matches in Cincinnati last year, sitting courtside when he saved a match point to defeat Nick Kyrgios. Big win for him. Um, took out Nadal next, I think, in about an hour and eight minutes. And then uh, lost to eventual champion Marin Cilic in Cincy. Jared he had to retire after a set. And really, George has never been the same uh, since uh, he had to retire. Didn't have a great rest of the year last year. Slow out of the gate this year. Uh, in my opinion, I expected a title or titles for Borna George sooner than this. But this has got to be this has got to be feeling good, especially the way he did it, Jared. Uh, boy, hard luck for Philip Kohlschreiber. Uh, blew five match points, Borna Chorch stayed the course, got the job done. Yeah, it's a great win for Chorch. And he's had great wins before. He's beaten Rafael Nadal. He's beaten Andy Murray, I believe. Um, so he's gotten great wins, but to get a title is something entirely different. That's uh, an entire week of playing well. And he, he took out the number seven seed, the number two seed, the number three seed. He took out Yuri Vaselli. 
Um, this is quite a run for George, and to finish it off the way he did, to come up clutch in that third set against Cole Schreiber, uh, just an incredible performance and a great way to pick up his first career title. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to, to bigger and better things. He did lose today to Chardy. Uh Probably tongue was on the ground. He did uh, lose the first set, came back and won the second set, but uh, lost to Jeremy Chardy in Monte Carlo, but uh, he's still got to be feeling pretty good about himself for what he was able to accomplish on Sunday. The other result that I that really jumped out at me, Jared, uh, protected ranking the veteran Tommy Robredo taking out Grigor Dimitrov. Nice win for Tommy. Yeah, what's this about? Tommy Robredo with the protected ranking. Um, and we were talking about it last week. How is he still doing this at this point in his career? Um, he was thinking about hanging up uh, the racket a little while ago, and here he is taking out number one seed, Grigor Dimitrov. I remember talking about Dimitrov on this show um, in early February, and we were talking about him being one of the hottest players in tennis at that mm-hmm. point. Well, now he's kind of stooped down to the point where he's the number one seed, losing to a player with protected ranking. He did come into this event with a wild card, so perhaps he didn't have his head in this event entirely. Um, but still, that that was a surprising result and also a surprising scoreline, 6-4, 1-6, 6-1. Uh, but full credit to Tommy Robredo. Yeah, good call. And uh, that wraps up uh, those titles as well as, you know, we've got big uh, – Big action coming up as soon as tomorrow morning, about 1 or 2 a.m. our time from Monte Carlo, Jared. But uh, before we wrap up tonight, anything else that you'd like to add from either Monte Carlo or the results from the weekend? Well, yeah, last week we uh, saw a couple surprising results. There's this talk about the lost generation. And two of the guys on the younger end of that lost generation are, are Laszlo Giri and Gianluigi Quincy. Uh, these are two guys that had great junior careers, and so far it hasn't really translated at the professional level. Well, at Marrakesh, they came through as qualifiers and both won their first-round matches. Both lost to seeded players in the second round, um, but still good showings for them. They're still quite young, have the majority of their career ahead of them. Uh, so nice to see them starting to deliver on some of that promise. Um, hopefully there's a lot more of this to come in the future. Yeah, good call, and um... – I love this time of the year. Again, uh, 1 or 2 a.m., tennis is underway. Uh, you get up in the middle of the night, you catch up uh, on what's going on in Monte Carlo, then obviously you stay up for a while because you're glued to the set. But, uh, yeah, this is a, a wonderful time of the year for us uh, to be able to wake up and have live tennis on till about 11 or noon, our time. And so uh, here we are. Any any thoughts on uh, what might transpire in Monte Carlo? I, I usually like to make picks, but uh, I, I just think that uh, – not in a, this is almost spring training for me for the, for the clay court season. I'm not really sure what we're going to get, and uh, my sample size is is not sufficient enough to even uh, make a prediction. I, I wouldn't be surprised though. Uh, again, as we talked about on the show, Rafael Nadal he needs match play to to excel. He's had plenty of match play so far in 2017. He knows what he's doing in Monte Carlo. Um, but obviously Djokovic still alive, Stan Varenka, other guys might have their say, but I'd have to go with Rafa at this point. Uh, the hunger quotient, I think, in my opinion, just too strong. He knows the course, and he's got plenty of match play under his belt this year. Yeah, I think you'd have to be a fool to pick against a healthy Rafael Nadal on clay at Monte Carlo. Obviously Djokovic has had his number on clay in previous years. They're on the same half of the draw. Um, would love to see those two guys score off against each other, but if they do... Uh, I think Nadal is the heavy favorite in that one. And so I, I'm picking Nadal to win the title. 
Um, but Djokovic and Murray, definitely both contenders. We mentioned Stan Wawrinka. You never know when he's going to pull out, pull a title out of his hat. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of guys to watch. Uh, those are the main four for sure, though. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we talk next time, uh, we will be talking about the 2017 Monte Carlo champion. So on, be- so on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.